20 some odd years ago, I preached this message. I had about five minutes to prepare before the service started. The uh, setting was St. James and John, Second Baptist Church. That might give you a clue. Pastor said to me, My people expect you to preach an hour. I have five minutes to prepare. And then he says, and I don't want no wimpy white boy sermon out of you. So this is what I preached. We had a good time. To preach this message, I need four volunteers. I happen to have four. They have been conscripted by Pastor John. So gentlemen, bring your chairs up. And I'm hoping this one is going to be our hot mic. Test, 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 test. Test. Ah, there we are. <laughs> We're going to need that in a minute. Would you turn with me in your Bible, in your phone app, wherever you can, Psalm 107. We'll be dealing with scripture from 107 this morning. And we begin with this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We have a few people over here that are redeemed. How about over here? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. This is a participation message. You must laugh at least once or twice. If you do not laugh, this is going to be a long message. Because I'm staying up here till you laugh. The two hours will work, you know, I can handle that. I shared with Pastor some time ago, I set out long, many years ago, set a goal of my life, if I spend a minute with you, I am going to make sure you laugh. I know more jokes than you do. <laughs> I look for them seriously. I, uh, if you're on Facebook, you ought to make me your friend. I will give you four to ten good jokes a day. I'm not kidding. I, go, I work at it. I love to make people laugh. You know why? Because if I make you laugh, I get to talk to you. If I get to talk to you, we might talk about you. We might talk about your life. We might talk about spiritual things. Because that's the direction I'm headed. And ultimately, we might talk about your salvation. I learned that from my father-in-law. He began this way. Where did you grow up? What's your hometown? And as he would get engaged with people about their hometown, He's asking him, well, did you, where did you go to church? Did you ever go to the Assembly of God church? And he probably knew where every Assembly of God church was in a 500-mile radius of Minneapolis because he'd been there at some point in time. And he got to talk to people about their spiritual life. So, here we go. Let the redeemed of the Lord say, 
so. Whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary and gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. That's how a Norwegian says north. North, you know, it's not north, it's north. And if you get out among the seeds and the Norwegians, you get to hear a lot of funny stories. My brother texted me yesterday and said, do you know what's good about our time going forward in hour? And I said, no. He said, it means that there will snow an hour less today. <laughs> My sister, she texted too. She said, yeah, it means we don't have to shovel snow for an extra hour either. My brother had six inches of snow this morning when he got up. I'm laughing. <laughs> I'm loving it. I live in Oklahoma. It might be chilly, folks, but we ain't got the snow. <laughs> Thank the Lord. Well, wherever we came from, we are the redeemed of the Lord. From the north, the south, the east, the west. Wherever we come into this, he gathered us. And it's time to give thanks to the Lord. For he is good. Father, thank you for your goodness to us, your loving kindness to us. Your grace and your mercies are new every morning. Now, Lord, would you help us as we look into your word? As we look at these characters of Psalm 107, will you help us to see the words and the message you want us to see and hear? and to discover the truth you have for us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. There are four characters in this passage of Scripture. In one way or another, they experience trouble, and they experience tribulations. And some experience separation from God. Separation does not need to be the end of your Christian experience. It is what you do when you recognize that there's a separation between you and God that matters. And in this passage that we're going to look into this morning, in the next few minutes, we're going to see three people who are in great distress because of separation, and a fourth that is in distress because of circumstances, and we're going to discover what they do. I've asked these four young men sitting here beside, behind me to help me out this morning. They are going to read the scripture for us each one taking on a character. Our first victim <laughs> is Christian. Only this is former Christian who is reading for us. So come on, former Christian, ex-Christian, whomever you are, get up on your feet, come up here and read. Oh no, I get to hold the microphone. It's for safekeeping. I don't want any drop in the mic experiences here. They wandered in the wilderness in a desert region. Are we up? Hello, hello. Okay, we got you now. They wandered in, a, in the wilderness in a desert region. They did not find a way to an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Then they cried out to the Lord. Excuse me, wait a minute. They did what? Then they cried out to the Lord. Do you think that's all they did? 
God. Or was there a little more emphasis there? Um, probably a little more emphasis. Okay, well, let, let's see. Can you get that out of you? Uh, here, right here. Just give it all up. Ready? Uh, you can do this. You can do this. I, I have no, con no concern about you being able to. Okay. All right? Let's give it all you got. Then they cried out to the Lord. That was pretty talking. good. That was pretty good, you know. But you got to give it a little bit more. I mean, step it up a notch here, okay? Remember, you're out there in the wilderness. You're lonely. You're lost. You might be sitting on a rock going. You're hungry. You're a teenager. You're probably hungry 24-7. <sighs> Mom's not there. There is no food. You're lost. You've wandered off. You're in trouble. Can you handle this? All right, here you go. Start there at the beginning. Right there. Then they cried out to the Lord. And That's pretty good. <laughs> Let's do it one more time so that they get it. All right, you ready? And then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them out of their distresses. You've got to keep going now. Don't, don't stop yet. He led them also by a straight way to go to an inhabited city. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders for, to, to the sons of men. For he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul. He is filled with what is good. Thank you, Christian. Well done. I give him a hand. He's worth it. The first character is the wanderer, the former Christian. He's found sitting in the church pew every Sunday. across our country and it might be the last time they ever sit in a church pew. Sometimes they have had a glorious salvation experience but for some reason they never really connect in the church. And something comes along and keeps them out of church one Sunday and then something comes along and keeps them out of church a couple of Sundays and after a while they just quit coming to church. And somebody says, uh, whatever happened to Brother Pupufnik? You know, Christian Pupufnik, where'd he go? And somebody says, well, I heard he's going to church down at XYZ. So no one visits. No one checks up on him. He's out there wandering in the wilderness all by himself. And the truth is, he doesn't know how to find his way back. I like a good home-cooked meal. What about you? Man, Thanksgiving at our house is like a banquet. Have you ever had cheesy mashed potatoes with cream cheese? <sighs> My dad could make award-winning mashed potatoes. I can't. But my wife does a pretty good job. And turkey. Turkey. And whatever. Christmas at our house is steak, by the way. 
but that's a family tradition, steak. I love good home-cooked meal. Sometimes home cooking gets a little boring too, especially if it's my own home cooking. Now I make a decent omelet, and I don't know if anybody was here to got one of those Friday night, but I make a pretty decent omelet. On the other hand, I had Rice Krispies this morning because I don't eat omelets every day. I like Cajun food. Cajun food doesn't like me. Not anymore. I like Chinese food and Japanese food and Asian style food and Thai food and you name it, I eat it. I'll eat just about everything but rutabagas. I hear a few amens coming out of the world, woodwork there. Glenda doesn't cook Chinese and Thai and Japanese. I usually go to a restaurant to get that. It's kind of that way with my spiritual walk. If I only eat the food that I serve up in my own personal study, after a while it gets bland. I can even get headed in the wrong direction now and then. What I need is an outside perspective. I need Pastor Brooks to preach to me. Toughest job of being a pastor is that you only, most of the sermons you hear are your own. So you have to listen to other pastors too, to grow. And I know Pastor Brooks does. He mentions them once in a while. I had to too. I, I, you can't eat your own cooking every day, it seems, when it comes to spiritual things. Because too often what happens is we start eating prepared meals. Now, you can eat Rice Krispies every day of the week, but eventually it's going to take a toll on you. They may be good, but they aren't that good. And you can eat Weight Watchers every day of the week. Eventually, it's going to have an effect on you. They may be good, but they're not that good. Same with Nutrisystem and all the rest of them. You eat out of that box every day, you're missing out on life. Here's the wanderers. They're not connected to a church family. They're not getting regular, healthy, spiritual food, but instead they're eating the same boxed meal that comes over the airwaves, maybe. See, we, we live in a really cool time. I, I like some religious broadcasters. I don't want you to think I don't, because there are a few that I do listen to. There's not a lot, but there are a few. We've got streaming videos. There are some that are watching by, hopefully there's some watching by Facebook this morning. Hello, in case you are. I invited my brothers and sisters in Minnesota, since they're all snowed in, to, to watch on the Facebook this morning. Maybe they are. But if all you ever do is sit at home and watch it on the radio, or TV, or listen to it on the radio, or catch it on a podcast, or a video streamed on your computer, you are, missing out one of the, you are missing out on one of the most important aspects of the Christian walk. You see, those people who are on the airwaves, they want you to tithe to their ministries so often. You send your offerings, and they want your attendance on their broadcast, even to the exclusion of other ministries. They're into sensationalism to keep you coming back 
week after week and sending money for some sensationalistic program they've got going. They seldom present a truly balanced meal for the believer on a week-to-week basis. They will take from you, but they don't come visit you when you're in the hospital. They are not coming to cry with you during a divorce in your family. They don't rejoice with you at the birth of a child. They don't dedicate that child to the Lord with you. They don't unite you and a family member in holy matrimony. They don't preach your funeral. And someday we're all going to need somebody to do that for us. What they can do and often do is leave you wandering in the wilderness, no church family or spiritual anchor. And the way back is crying out to God. There's a reason that the writer of the book of Hebrews wrote this. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate. Now, I like the King James here over all the other translations because it uses the word provoke. Let us provoke one another to good works. And then he goes on, he says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more so as you see the day coming. Pastors, I was sitting between services. I got to thinking about this very thought. Television, streaming podcast, streaming video, streaming Facebook have become the enemy of the church collective. In that, it keeps people from sitting in this sanctuary. And I have to ask myself, have we fallen for the trap of the enemy? I don't know. We're going to have to think about that one. But I'm asking myself that question this morning. Have we fallen into the trap of the enemy? Because you see, the church is going to be successful and the church is going to be strong in these final days. We need one another. And the wanderer, the former Christian, ex-Christian Christian, needs to know we can cry out to God. And the church needs to be part of the response team. We need to reach out. Maybe you know somebody that should be sitting in the seat next to you this morning. You could check in with them this week and say, hey, I missed you. What happened? Well, we need to move on. Our next reader is Loser Luke. Are you ready, Loser? I mean, Luke. These guys all got their names before, so they know they're being picked on. Please don't think it anything different. Are you ready? I don't know. Give it your best shot, bud. There were those who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and in chains. What were they in? Misery. What, that, that's a state, isn't it? No. <laughs> what? 
Oh, it's a state of mind. Okay. Because they had hard, they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Do you understand the word spurned? It's okay. I just wanted to be sure because if you didn't, then maybe I should tell them. It would be helpful to you if I told them. Do you understand the word spurn? Some are saying yes, some are saying no. Spurned means, I want nothing to do with that. They rejected the word of God. Ooh, you are a loser if you're this person, aren't you? Good thing this isn't you, huh? You sure? So far anyway, huh? We're doing okay? Okay, good. You're just loser Luke for now. All right, here we go, loser Luke. Therefore he humbled their heart with labor. They stumbled, and there was none to help. Then they, then they cried out to the Wait a minute. You didn't learn anything the last time? You didn't learn from Christian? You didn't. Okay, it's obvious. So are you ready to try this again? Here we go. Then they cried. Then they cried out. Wait, come on, come on now. What did Christian have to do? He had to cry out. Okay, what are you going to have to do cry to get out. through this? Yeah, that's exactly it. So, are you ready? I guess. <laughs> then. Cry. No, wait a minute. No. You just got to go right from here. You got, you got some here. Let's go. Are you ready? I'll do it with you. One, two, three. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them from distress. He brought them out of the darkness and into the shadow of death and broke their bands apart. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for wonders to the sons of men. For he has shattered gates of bronze and cut bars of iron asunder. That's a tough word, that last one, isn't it? Asunder, yeah. Thank you, Luke. Give him a hand. He did a good job. I told these guys... Before, when we were meeting before service, one of you was going to get picked on the, move, the most. Luke says, me. <laughs> Sucker. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Nice guy. Nice guy. Yeah. This guy is in jail, people. He has rebelled. He ends up being a prisoner sitting in a jail cell. Do you understand why there's bronze gates? Do you understand why he's in shackles? He has totally screwed up. And he's in jail. You know, prisons are one of the most effective places to share the gospel of Christ. Because everybody there is looking for a way out. They know what kind of trouble they're in. They understand. These are spouses, children, grandchildren, nieces and nephews, aunts and uncles, friends and relatives alike that are in jail all over our country, over several million of them now. And they have one thing in common so often. 
they rejected and spurned the words of God and his word. They broke the laws. So many of the people in prison today came from the pews of our churches throughout this land. They let temptation overtake them. One of the greatest reasons they end up there is peer pressure. Someone pushes them into violating some law. One of the worst events in my life occurred the summer between my freshman and sophomore year at North Central. North Central Bible College in those days, North Central University these days. I let a friend talk me into following him to a concert. I did not know that he was going to drive at speeds in excess of 100 miles an hour. I tried to keep up. I could not. As I was trying to find the location of that concert that night, I got T-boned in an intersection. I had just made the final payment on that car. I had just had that car repainted 30 days prior. I had just waxed it for the first time after the 30-day waiting period from the paint job the day before. I was supposed to have full coverage insurance because I had a loan against that car. I did not have full coverage insurance. My agent did not put it on. And I lost totally that car. See, there wasn't a panel left on it. I got T-boned, it pushed the center post of the car through to where I was sitting in a, in a V. The V hit my, I hit my shoulder on the V and injured my shoulder. Took out the whole right side of my car when he hit me. The left side of my car hit a church sign. Took out the left side of the car. The front end of my car hit the church steps. I took out the church steps and the rest of the car. There wasn't a panel on that car that was salvageable. And there I was, in an ambulance, headed to the hospital. And what am I doing? I'm blaming God. I'm blaming God because I didn't get to go to the concert and he ruined my car. I should have been repenting for driving 100 plus miles an hour through the streets of Minneapolis. But, hey, it wasn't my fault. And I was doing a pretty good job of blaming God until we, I was on my way to the impound lot to get the car out of impound with my mom on a Monday. And I was sitting in the front seat of her car and some rotten old preacher came on the radio and read, and you have forgotten the exhortation which was addressed to you as, my, as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? See, the problem was God had called me into full-time ministry. I left North Central in the spring of that year with the words of my mouth being, It'll be a cold day in hell when I come back here. Because I was done. I was done with ministry. 
the day after my accident was the day I was supposed to go to Mankato, Minnesota and be a walk-on on the football team for my sophomore year. I think I could have played football. In high school, I'd had an opportunity for a scholarship that I turned down because God called me into ministry and I was going to Bible college. I didn't, I didn't think I'd have any trouble getting a chance to play football in college. But God didn't let me make that appointment. Instead, he ruined my car. And I had the choice at that point to accept the discipline of the Lord I'm fortunate that all I lost was my car. If I'd got caught speeding at 100 plus miles an hour in Minneapolis at that time, I probably would have spent a few days in jail for sure. If I had not gone back to North Central at that, that fall, I never would have started dating my wife. We've been married this coming June 45 years. I'd have missed out on a lot of good stuff. I never would have had the opportunity for ministry that, I, that I've had over the last 30 plus years, 40 years of ministry. I broke down in that car when my mom was driving and I repented right there. And as the tears were flowing down my face, my mom asked me what was wrong. And I don't know what I said, I don't remember what I said, but I'm sure I said something flippant because I never let my mom know that I, why I was crying. But what I was crying about was my own rebellion. See, I had rebelled against the things of God. That had got me into that spot. Solomon writing to the church and writing in the Song of Solomon said this, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes are ruining the vineyards while our vineyards are in blossom. See, it was all the little foxes that had built up over the previous year that had caused me to walk out of North Central saying, I'm not coming back. It's the little foxes that destroy your life. It's the little things. Bible scholars have long recognized the hidden message here. It's the little things that destroy us. As Christians, we have the ability to handle the big temptations most of the time. Seldom do you hear of a Christian really getting themselves into trouble. But it's the off-color joke the acceptance of a gift in return for a loyalty, taking something that's not ours. Maybe it's just cheating on our taxes and overstating the value of a gift to Goodwill or Salvation Army. It's the little stuff that leads us to the dungeon of sin and separation. Be careful of the little stuff. Be careful. Be careful. You don't want to be loser Luke. And I'm so thankful that this young man back here is not a loser. Because in the early service, it was naughty Nina. <laughs> One time I preached a sermon, and the pastor's last name was Wheeler, and I used his wife, and it was Wicked Sister Wheeler. Yeah, the names are temporal. They're gone now. We have an opportunity to cry out. We have a responsibility to those around us when we see them struggling in their walk to, 
to get with them and help them to cry out. Well, that takes us to our third character. Let me introduce you to messed up Mark. Come on up here, Mark. Think you can handle this? Pretty sure. All right, well, we'll see. You know, you have to contend with me here. And you never know what I'm going to do. Pastor gets a little worried sometimes, I think. Because he doesn't know what I'm going to do next. Fools. Because of the, their rebellious could, ways. Could you say that a little bit better? Fools! Fools! Uh, that's, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a little Mr. T-ish there. Yeah. Now, these older people know Mr. T. You probably don't. But fool. Pity the fool. Because of their rebellious way and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their souls abhorred all kinds of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out. Can you do better? That's pretty good, but can you do better? Okay, let's see. Then they cried out. Oh, awesome. Give my hand. Give my hand. He did a good job there. To the Lord in their trouble, he saved them of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them, and delivered them from their destructions. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness, and for his wonders to the sons of men. Let them also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving, and tell of his works with joyful singing. Thank you, messed up. I mean, Mark. Good job. Good job. Give my hand. Is this kind of fun? You know, we all kind of know messed up Mark, foolish Frida, in case it's a girl. You give them advice and it's like talking to a brick. If they see it on Jerry Springer or Maury Povich or any one of those stupid programs, which I could care less about and don't ever watch really, I mean, I watched a few of them in my lifetime, but I'm just like, who in a war? How does this have anything to do with cultured society? It hasn't got any as far as I'm concerned, but anyway, they'll, they'll see it on there and they'll go out and try it. Because they just haven't got any more sense than that. If Shaq says it's going to work, they go buy gold bond powder. Or they'll get the general for their insurance company, you know? If there's a gizmo out there, they are buying it. I don't know what a gizmo is. I have never seen a gizmo, but I do know that they buy those gizmos. They possibly have been in every multi-level marketing scheme you can imagine. And they're no better off than they were when they began. I have a secretary once, Janae McWilliams. Her brother-in-law was a pretty famous baseball player, pitcher. Janae's maiden name was Cheatham. Her daddy was an accountant. <laughs> I always heard of Dewey Cheatham and how, but I never really, uh, yeah. But he seriously, seriously, honest, he was an accountant. 
He worked in the aerospace industry for a company. And he was a sucker for an MLM, multi-level marketing scheme. He was always looking for a way to get rich quick. Unfortunately, at age 80, he was still working because he'd never gotten rich. In one sense, he was super bright, super intelligent. But on the other hand, rather foolish. That's the thing about a fool. They can be really bright and intelligent in some areas, but they can do some foolish things. We've all done foolish things. Some foolishness leads us into sin because it has its roots in rebellion. Sam, Samuel, speaking to Saul, the, the king, wrote these words in 1 Samuel 15, 23. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, or witchcraft, if you will. And insubordination is as an iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of God, he has rejected you from being king. You see, our foolishness will lead us away from God sometimes. Now, sometimes we just do foolish things. But for this person, when mom and dad try to speak to them, they reject mom and dad without listening. When they're given sound advice, they're going to, I'm going to do it my way. They become rebellious at every turn. They begin to be trapped by their sins. Their iniquities begin to build up and build up and build up. I've always referred to iniquities as that sin that we keep going back to and doing over and over and over again. We know it's wrong. We know we shouldn't do it. We really are, you know, would like to get it out of our lives. We really need a victory. We need to cry out to God for a victory, total victory in that area. But we just keep going back to it. Pastor Brooks referred to it a couple weeks ago as besetting sins. And in Hebrews 12 and 1 and 2, this, the writer talks about the sin which so easily besets us. And I realized that he and I were talking the same language. And I liked it. I'd never heard it referred to that way. But I liked it. That besetting sin. It just tears us apart. It tears us down. You know, and it's not every foolish thing that we do that is sinful. I remember being a young man in Minnesota. I was probably around 22, 23 at the time at the most. We were out at my uh, in-laws place just about 35 miles out of the city at their farm and they had 160 acres at that time. And Glenda and I were spending the weekend there and a Minnesota blizzard came. And the ruts in the, on the road were about this deep when it was all over after they had plowed. And I'm a kid, I wish I was telling you a story, but it was horrible. We had to drive back to the cities like that, that night, or that day, I guess it was. But <clears throat> that weekend, my father-in-law was upset because he hadn't gotten his mail. They had a quarter mile plus driveway, and we were snowed in pretty good. And he was insistent that somebody had to go get his mail. My brother-in-law, who was four years older than me, said, it ain't happening, I'm not going. He told his dad, I'm not going. Glenda was like, she's not going. And he wouldn't ask her anyway because she was a girl. You know what I mean? 
and my mother-in-law's not going, and my father-in-law's not going to drive a snowmobile, he's going to start the diesel tractor, which will take four hours to heat up so he can go get his mail, and uh, you have to plow out the driveway to get out there, and that's going to take several hours, and the snow is still coming, and the wind is still blowing, and the drifts are still being made, and so everybody's looking at me, and who, you know, who goes, I'll do it. So I go get my snowmobile suit on, I get dressed, and I go out and I get my snowmobile started, and I trudge out and check the mail where I know there's not going to be any mail because I'm smart enough to know that even in the wind and rain and snow and sleet and all that, that the mailman's supposed to come in. He's not coming in this blizzard. So I go out, I check the mail, I open the mailbox, there is no mail. There's no paper for that day either because the, the paper boy isn't coming because he's smarter than the mailman. So I get back on the the sled to go back to the house and there's no traffic and the wind is blowing and the snow is blowing quicker and I get caught in a whiteout. And about two-thirds of the way back on the driveway there's a curve you have to make to get to the house. I miss the curve. I end up on the wrong side of the fence out in the slough in the middle of nowhere in the middle of a blizzard. It's 40 plus degrees minus degrees Celsius temperature Fahrenheit with wind chills in the minus 50 plus degrees and I'm lost. Probably the dumbest, foolishest thing. Foolishest? Is that a word, Pastor? <laughs> foolishest? One of the most foolish things I've ever done in my life. Now, I probably was crying out to God in an audible voice, but over the snowmobile and the wind and the blizzard and stuff, I don't know that I could have heard myself if I did. But I cried out to God. I cried, God, you've got to help me. Eventually, in not too short order, I found a fence that I recognized. And I was able to follow that fence. At least I went the right direction. Thank the Lord, because if I'd gone the other direction, it would have been even worse. But I went the right direction, followed the fence back to a known landmark where I knew I could get back to the house. Not every foolish act that you do is sin. But foolishness on a continual, regular basis without acting intelligently will lead you to a place of destruction. I want you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say and remember this. Do not be so proud of your foolish mistake that you won't cry out to God in your time of trouble. Some people said, well, I made my bed, I'm going to sleep in it. That's even dumber. Don't be so proud of your foolish mistake that you won't cry out to God in your time of trouble. Well, we need to move on. I promised I wouldn't preach two hours to myself. An hour maybe, but not two. Here we have confident Caden. Are you ready, confident Caden? Yes. You can handle this? You're sure? Yeah. You think you're going to get away with anything here? Probably. Probably? You don't know me at all, do you? You haven't learned anything from these other three guys? No, no I didn't think so. Okay. Um, do you know, Caden, that is called foolishness. <laughs> Just thought I'd throw that in there. Those who go. go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they have seen the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he spoke and raised up a stormy wind, 
which lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens, they went down to the, to the depths. Their souls melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunken man and were at their wit's end. And then they cried out to the Lord. That was really not too bad. But I think you've got more in you. You ready? Okay, here we go. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distresses. He caused the storm to be still, so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet. So he guided them to their desired heaven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Amen. Thank you, Caden. You did a good job. Give my hand. You know, when I think of people crying out to God, it's kind of like you get out of the car, you run to the front door, you open the door, you have hardwood floors, you get on your knees, and you slide all the way to the kitchen table where you find a chair, and you cry out to God. God! Why me? And some days, that's exactly the way we feel. We've been doing everything right. And suddenly, it all goes to naught. This is the businessman who has so much smarts. He knows how to import, export. He has ships going here and there and to and fro. And people are getting stuff they need. And he's making a living. And things are good. And then along came the storm. Along come the storms of life and the disasters. Jesus said it this way. In Matthew chapter 5, 44 and 45, he said, For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And even though you're a Christian, even though you're godly in all your ways, you're in touch with your family, your kids are great kids, everything is as perfect as it possibly could be, one day, wham! It hits. The rain falls on everyone. On Christians, we need to be fully aware that the rains fall on everyone. Jesus said in this life, in John chapter 16 and 33, you will have tribulations. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. In this life, you're going to have some tough spots. But that doesn't have anything to do with whether or not you're saved. He overcame the world. He overcame death, hell, and the grave. He overcame that we can have a life in Christ. It's not about our tribulations. But Paul would write this. He said, know this. We exalt in tribulations. Knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance, perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit which is given to us. The Old Testament person of Job is probably one of the most prime examples of somebody who, for whom everything was going well and one day, kablooey, everything's gone. His kids die. His wife turns on him. 
and his wealth is taken from him. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible is found in one of Job's response in chapter 13, verse 15. He says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. In the early service when Pastor introduced me, he said, you know, this guy's had three surgeries since he's been here. I've been here four years. I've had three major surgeries. I've been hospitalized for renal failure. I've been battling a health issue that uh, was horrible through the month of December, November and December. I missed Thanksgiving and Christmas because of it. I'm now back on my feet again. And he said, he's had three surgeries. I said, Pastor, that's nothing. I've had 23 surgeries in my lifetime. I've had over 50 incisions in my, life, in my body. I've been hospitalized 17 other times, and that's most of that's in the last 30 years. Now, I can get really upset by that. I know one thing, I'd, be a little more, I'd have a little more money in the bank if I hadn't done all of that. You know what, but my doctors love me. I'm their favorite cash cow, you know? But you know what, one of the weird, weirdest things, I've got a doctor who's a Hindu. And this last Tuesday, Pastor, I got to witness with him, share with him, start talking about faith matters with him. He asked me. No one knows, maybe that's why I get to go to the doctor. I don't care. All I know is this. I didn't expect any of those things. I went out one morning on a Thursday morning, I'll never forget the day. I went to work on a computer. I had a own com- my own computer business when I was pastoring in Minnesota. I uh, did networking and things for companies to, because we'd planted churches and I had to find a way to support our home and our family. And I had a company that I was doing some work for down by Rochester, Minnesota. I went down there on the way down. I started not feeling well on the way back. I f- was feeling worse after I'd fixed their situation. That afternoon, I called my wife at work and said, I think you need to come take me to the doctor. I don't feel capable of taking myself. We went to the doctor. I went into the one clinic. They took one look at me and sent me to meet to the ER. Went to the ER. And they said, you have a bowel obstruction and you've got to be operated on as soon as we can. I wasn't planning that. You know, who, how do you plan a bowel obstruction? <laughs> and they happen. I don't, I wasn't, you know. And from here, I was supposed to leave Monday on a missions trip. And from here to here, they laid me open. And they, well, we won't go there. You don't need to know all of that. It wasn't much fun. I want you to understand something. And I I say this a lot. And there's usually somebody who wants to pick an argument with me about it. And that's okay. You can argue with me the point because I think I stand on pretty good ground here. God will give you more than you can handle. And you're going, wait a minute, I always heard God won't give you more than you can handle. Well, here's the the little news for you. It's not in the Bible anywhere. I looked. I searched the scriptures. I wanted to be able to say to people, God won't give you more than you can handle, but I couldn't find it. And I'm going to tell you why God will give you more than you can handle. He will give you more than you can handle because if you could handle it, you wouldn't need him. And you need him. You need him every day of your life. 
You need to be able to cry out to him in the midst of trial and turmoil and troubles. We need God. He won't give you more than he and you can handle together, but he will give you more than you can handle. I can tell you that that is a truth. I have seen it played out so many times over in my life, and yet there are people who want to insist that he won't give you the more than I can handle. Well, guess what? He won't give you more temptation than you can handle, but with every temptation makes a way of escape. And it's from that idea I think that this whole thing came from. But that isn't, the, that isn't what God's word is about. Job couldn't handle it by himself. He said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Where was his confidence? It was in God. The psalmist said in 121, I lift up my eyes unto the hills. From whence cometh my help? It comes from the Lord. Why did he have to do that? Because he couldn't do it himself. I have a pastor friend who put it this way. He said, God will fix a fix to get you fixed. And if you through faith fix the fix, he will fix a bigger fix to get you fixed. And I always thought, man, I don't want to be in the second part of that statement. It's bad enough being in the first part sometimes when I need fixing. Because God will do what he has to do to draw you close to him and to draw you into his life and to draw you into his experience and to draw you through your times of trouble and persecutions. In three out of four of our cases this morning, the problems came from the behavior of the people. In the fourth one, it was just the, the thing. Galatians Paul wrote to the Galatians and he said this in chapter 6, don't be deceived, God's not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. And what one sows to his own flesh, he will from the flesh reap corruption. For the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. My pastor, when I was a kid, said it this way one day. He said, only God can cause crop failure. You will reap what you sow, but only God can cause crop failure. What are you sowing to today? What are you sowing to today? I want you to remember four things as we leave here this morning and in, in a few minutes. First of all, I want you to be faithful to God's house, to God's family. You need each other. We need you. I need you. Pastor needs you. You need each those that are sitting nearby. We need that family of God to stay strong. Don't let peer pressure or sinful acts ruin your life. Be faithful to God. Don't be rebellious and foolish. Have a good time. Laugh. Enjoy life. I love it when pastor gets up and says, isn't it good that God gave us a laugher? And I, I, that's, my, that's my motto almost. Have some fun, but don't do stupid things that separate you from God. And finally, in this life, you're going to have some bad times. But be of good cheer. In the worst of it, be of good cheer. For God, through his Son, declares he has overcome the world. If there's a view of wandering today, Cry out to God. 
you're having a rebellious time in your life, cry out to God. If you're a foolish person, cry out to God. If you're making a lot of foolish decisions, I want to encourage you, find a Christian mentor who makes good decisions. It'll help a lot. Finally, if everything's going along well and things go bad all of a sudden, cry out to God. Pick up your Bible and read Isaiah chapter 43. One of my favorites for those times of trouble.